welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast brought to you by Quilter Financial Planning. We're here to lift the lid on the world of financial advice, providing insight for those already in the industry and anyone perhaps thinking of a new career. I'm Hannah Vaughan-Jones. Join me as we address common misconceptions head on, gather some advice from practicing advisors, speak with those who have overcome hurdles and hear people's inspiring stories who have chosen this industry from all walks of life. In today's episode, we look at the future of financial planning and how to leave a strong legacy behind. There has been some rather stark research out lately. A study by Octopus Investments has found that around 60% of practicing advisors will leave the profession over the next decade. So what does this mass exodus mean for the industry and how do advisors protect their legacy? With me today are three people to help with all of these questions. Nick Braid is Practice Buyout Manager, Scott Stevens is Director of Advisor Recruitment and Acquisition, and Paul Young is Head of Business Consultancy, all with Quilter Financial Planning. Welcome to you all. Let's start then by getting to know a little bit more about what you all do in the financial planning world. So Nick, let's come to you first. Your role, please. Hi, Hannah. Well, um, my role is the Practice Buyout Team Manager. So I run the practice buyout proposition on behalf of Quilter Financial Planning. This proposition is designed to provide support for our business owners exploring the options and choices when they're actually looking at their succession plans. So it's enabling them to achieve a capital event for themselves to realise the true value of their business, but also to ensure that they, 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 uh, their clients are looked after going forward. And Scott, coming to you then, your, your Director of Advisor Recruitment and Acquisition. Tell us more about that. So really my job is to encourage more financial advisors to effectively join the Quilter Financial Planning Club, where we give them lots of um, services and tools in order to effectively make them uh, run more efficiently, grow sustainably over time. And when the time comes, obviously look for exiting, exiting with confidence. I also actually look after the Financial Advisor School where we have about 150 students at any one time taking their level four qualification and those for already practicing financial advisors, they can then take their level six, which gives them their chartered status. So really two parts to that. And last, but by no means least, Paul, you are head of business consultancy. So your role within Quilter Financial Planning. Yeah, great. I'm, I'm, I think I've got the best job of the world. Thank you. Because I get to work with uh, all these lovely people on this call, but more importantly, with the uh, the heads of the uh, advisory firms and their advisors and support staff. So as, as uh, Scott said, it's about running profitably, growing sustainably, and when the time comes, exiting confidently, which is a bit of the theme today. But really, it, what we specialise in is behavioural economics, the science of decision making. Um, and, and really, it's about very small, tiny uh, adjustments to day-to-day -day activities that can make a really large long-term impact, both to clients and to business value. I mentioned in the introduction there that there is this expected mass exodus, some 60% of financial advisors leaving in the next decade uh, or so. Um, I guess the first point to cover then is what does that mean for the industry going forward? And, and should clients be concerned about this exodus? Scott, let's come to you. No, not at all, uh, Hannah. I think, um, you know, A, obviously, you know, the stats are out there. But the reality is, I think these things tend to unwind over time. And particularly as, uh, you know, people aren't leaving because they don't love their jobs as financial advisors. It tends to be an age thing. And we're seeing far more people get to kind of partial sales and therefore they're semi-retiring. So whilst those stats feel as if, oh, they're dropping off a cliff, the reality is there'll be enough 
advisors in there to look after those clients and they'll be aided of course by the technological developments that we've seen in the industry which just makes advisors more efficient but obviously for, from my perspective this is just a massive opportunity for advisors particularly a younger generation coming through to both obviously acquire the clients of those and often they were their friends so there's a massive opportunity obviously with picking up the existing client bank and then something i get really excited about is this intergenerational wealth transfer and there are literally trillions up for grabs uh, of a whole new cohort will be inheriting broadly speaking bricks and mortar and it's how that then needs to be advised over time often turned into liquid assets that advisors can advise people on so it's a massive opportunity hannah so it's not just that the financial planning world is seeing this exodus because people don't want to be in it anymore. It's more about the people hitting that retirement age and this huge opportunity now to get younger people into the industry. Paul? Yeah, so it's really interesting because I think uh, the mindset of uh, not just financial advisors, but people in the United Kingdom has definitely changed from retirement being a certain date and then you stop working, take your golden watch and and go and sit in the corner and dribble. It doesn't happen like that anymore. You know, life is different. It's about phasing. And you know, people who have a purpose, people retire towards something, uh, live a lot longer than people who just walk away from it. And I think you know, this thing that, that Scott talked about, um, this partial retirement, uh, I, when push comes to shove, I think there will be a massive transfer of value of financial advisors' businesses over the next couple of years, but I don't see a massive exodus. And the reason being is a lot of the financial advisors we work with, they love what they do. And when, they, when you ask them, how would they fill their time tomorrow if they weren't doing what they do? You have a blank answer. You have the blank face. You, and, and so this whole sort of how do you fan, fancy still doing what you do, tickling the denticles of your brain, helping your clients... They, they, they think, well, it's different. And you also raise a bit of cash and capital. Um, I think that, you know, it's a really different mindset change. And I think we've got to, you know, they've got to take a bit of their own medicine with this, Hannah. You know, what they do day to day, let's face it, what they do is they take their clients' heads, they take them out of the day-to-day bump and grind, they say, have a look to the future, and then they yeah. put their heads back to the day-to-day and say, these are some subtle things you can do today to make a massive difference in the future. And they don't do it enough to their own businesses. And when a lot of people, you know, we get to the, what are you going to do in retirement? Most people want to phase it or want to do a little bit like a portfolio of different pieces. And I'm seeing that's a massive change in the, in the UK environment. And Nick, would you agree with that? That sort of idea that many financial advisors, even if they're just looking towards partial retirement rather than full retirement, they really need to take a dose of their own medicine when it comes to actually planning for their future. Yeah, absolutely. Hannah, um, just endorsing Paul's points really. So, um, you know, in, in terms of the, the, the opportunity and the, the, the ways that we're seeing uh, succession plans, I call it succession planning rather than, than retirement planning because there's no hard and fast rules around uh, when somebody should uh, hang their gloves up. Um, so, you know, the most successful plans that we see are where business owners and proprietors are really open-minded. Um, they run a successful business, they may wish to change the way they work and, and have a lifestyle change, but they still have lots to offer. So it's absolutely fine. And, and we do still see a market of uh, business proprietors that want to retire and uh, when able to, to travel overseas and have a lovely life. Um, but, but similarly, we also see situations where um, business proprietors proprietors want to phase their retirement so there's no right or wrong way of doing this and 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 we're really open-minded and agnostic from that point of view so 
understanding the objective of, of the business owner are really important. And that's important for the clients too, because it ensures continuity of service and, and, and availability of advice as well. I want to get much more into succession planning and legacy planning as well as we go through the conversation. But Scott, perhaps I can come to you on this, this idea, concept of timing then. Is it, um, is it important to get the, the, the planning from conception through to execution, if you like, of, your, of, of handing over your business or retiring? Is it important to, to, to really plan that over the course of many, many months, maybe even many, many years? It, it is. And uh, obviously everybody thinks, oh, I want to retire in two years time. And you know, Nick will talk you through some of the timings that he experiences on a daily basis when he's talking to principals. But the key message from my perspective is you do need to think about this well in advance. This isn't a kind of, oh, in two years, I'm, I'm definitely dropping it. And, and sometimes I've had conversations with some business owners who say, oh, I want to be out in six months. And when you start to walk through the different steps that they need to take, the reality is this is not usually, usually a six month deal. And if it is, it's usually feels a bit panicked. And then obviously mistakes can be made. And of course, a key element when we talk about this a lot is looking after those clients, which I know we'll touch on a little bit later. But at the heart of that, business owners, yes, it's about achieving the right price, but it's also their legacy. And many of their clients over many years of managing, obviously, their, their, their financial affairs have become friends of financial advisors. So the last thing in the world they want to do is walk down their local high street and then get a flea in their ear with regards to, I can't believe you sold my business to X, Y, Z. Culture is a really big thing. And Nick works extremely hard in his conversations with advisors of matching the right buyers with sellers. So, yeah, Nick, pick, do you want to pick up on that then, the, the importance of planning and building enough time into that, into that framework? Yeah, for sure. So it's crucial, Hannah. You know, I think that, um, you know, Paul touched on it. We have fabulous business owners and business proprietors who provide great advice to their clients. And, and this is about them taking some time to reflect on their own business um, take some of their own medicine and look at what their objectives are going forward. So from that point of view, you know, we're engaging with businesses, um, really young business proprietors, because the business plan that somebody has now has to have an objective. It has to have an end game. So consequently, understanding, you know, what, what you're looking to do when from a lifestyle change perspective, um, financial outcomes, it, it's all stuff that should be thought of and, and tweaked and reviewed on a regular basis. So as Scott's alluded to, um, we do see some business proprietors looking to sell and retire quite, quite quickly. Often those circumstances uh, behind those situations are because of maybe ill health or, or, or life changes. Um, but for the best planned and the best executed proposals, both for the retiring business proprietor, the successor and the clients. Putting some thought into it, putting some planning into it um, is really important. And I guess in the middle of a global pandemic, there are going to be more and more people who are up against that pressure of perhaps ill health or something like that. And that, that adds an extra strain of, of pressure on them when, when considering how to, how to best sell up. Um, Paul, I want to ask you about... Well, what, what Nick's just been saying and Scott as well, but also this concept of building value and why that's important in the run up to selling. So there are some subtle things they can do. But what I was also thinking about the timing perspective mm. is, especially with COVID, actually, we are, for the majority of I expect the people who are listening, they are on their last hurrah. And what I mean by that, this is probably their last financial and economic 
macro cycle that they're going to ride the wave off before they start, you know, perhaps not working as hard as they used to. So this is, you know, I hate to say it from a behavioral perspective, loss motivation, anything that's scarce or in danger of missing out on suddenly does create a bit of sense of urgency without, you know, someone's, if it wasn't for the last minute, nothing would get done sometimes, would it? But, you know, scarcity part, that'll, that'll actually get people moving to do something. And if you think we've, we've just been through pretty much about 12 years of one major loop of economic cycle, we've just entered another one. This is a massive opportunity for people to do subtle tweaks to maximize that value today. And even if you're a, you know, a 30 something, 20 something, there are certain things you can do, which is exactly the same um, benefit to you today, but also help sharpen the value going forward. But my real issue is, this is a massive opportunity. We've had massive market fluctuation volatility. You've seen what the, the chances talked about with, you know, realistically, it's the end of 2022 before we get back to any sort of state of GDP normality. So we've got an opportunity for business owners to maximize this economic cycle. And if you don't, it is crazy because clearly, you know, you're just missing out unnecessarily on extra value for you and your, and your, and your, your family. Yeah. Scott, what does, what does building value mean to you? How would you explain that to someone listening? Well, it's really around what we talk about, a kind of production level. So how many clients have you got and how much money are you then managing? And that then translates into what we then usually term as reoccurring income. So it's income that you would get from managing those clients on a, obviously an annualized basis. Um, and there's lots of different calculations uh, that you can take in there. Um, and, and Nick will probably walk you through some of those. But it's usually round about this kind of three and a half times that reoccurring reoccurring um, uh, revenue that they're generating and of course there's lots of nuances to that so you know if I've let's say got an older population of my client base well necessarily if, if Paul was coming in to buy that from me then he's probably going to pay a little bit less for that because the length of time to manage those clients before perhaps they naturally pass is going to be a lot shorter and therefore the opportunity cost of managing over over time is then diminished and that will be reflected in the price. Um, equally, there's things such as, you know, the cost for servicing those. And very quickly, you get to a kind of scaled business that, you know, can be worth a substantial amount of money by considering, and, and we often think of, oh, there's small financial advisor practices. Well, you know, some of these valuations are kind of, you know, four, five, six million pounds. It's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously so important to try and get this to get it right within a specific time frame as well, especially within a time frame of an economic cycle. Nick, you wanted to jump in on that. Yeah, so so Scott makes some really really important points there. I, I think that that something that, that is crucial when business proprietors are looking at maximising the value for their businesses is to focus on profit because running a business is is really tricky, particularly during these challenging times. So often the focus is on turnover. So taking time to really um, review your business, get underneath it, look at look look at the age profile of the clients, your proposition. Um, the service that you offer to your clients, um, look at the profitability. So be honest with your costs. Those kind of things are the nuances will, which will actually put your business in the best position possible to maximize the financial outcome from your perspective. Um, the risk of not doing those things is potentially you're, you're leaving opportunity in your business for prospective successors and purchases. So, you know, prospective successors and purchases are looking for opportunity and looking at ways of, of growing a business that they acquire. But if you neglect to focus on those things as a retiree, um, you're actually not maximizing what you could achieve. 
So obviously the focus is on, as it would be with anyone's business, on, on profit and turnover in, at, in the first instance. But then what about legacy as well? I think if someone was listening to this thinking, how do I best hand over my business and maintain um, the respect of my clients and perhaps even only have a partial retirement, so perhaps even keep their hand in in some way, um, how would they best go about that? The first thing is, is there are certain things that you can do today to help get the best consistency with your offering to clients, which then has a longer term impact and then helps the communication piece. So let me just talk about what I mean by that. So um, we talked about valuations and there are lots of different ways to come to it, but they normally roughly come out in the same way. But it's a bit like a house uh, valuation, Hannah, in that you know, it doesn't really matter what you and I think about the valuations, what I'm going to pay for it. So, you know, if I really, if my heart set on that house, I don't care if it's a million pound house, for example, simple, simple sums. And the, the mortgage valuer says, oh, I think it's only worth 900. If I still love it and I, I want it, I'll pay a million. Okay. So, so there are certain things that the valuations come in at certain levels, but there are tweaks that get it higher and lower. So things like, first of all, getting your client bank ready for handover, consistency of your advice and your consistency of your process and consistency of fees across the piece is absolutely vital. And unfortunately, we're in the United Kingdom. If I like you and you're a mate of mine, I tend to try and discount it because I'm a bit shy and I'm not very good at negotiating. Yeah. Um, and uh, I normally will discount far more than any client would expect that they should because I don't want to lose the business. And that creates disparity. Now, that disparity, maybe you may think is a great thing for the client, but it doesn't help give that consistency feel now and longer term. And also if people talk uh, at their bowls club about what sort of, you know, sort of service they get. So when you are getting to talk about, I'm going to, you know, um, not work so hard, engaging with your client, not just telling them that oh, I've, I've moved on and I've gone. I wonder how many times I've been bought and sold in my life already. And I've never known anything about it because I was a data list on some company somewhere. I never know. But if I can inform clients of saying, look, I won't be here or I may not be here, but if say I'm not here, I want the same spirit and feel delivered to you as if I was here. What I've done is I'm now in the marketplace look, doing due diligence to make sure you're looked after at least to as well as I was doing it with you before. Then you move into the, I'm now a founder suitor. Let me tell you the reasons why I've chosen of all the people I've decided to sell to, these are the people and why and what you can expect. Then remind them the value, then introduce them, then hopefully do some, we always talk about a tw ideally a 12 to 14 month sort of handover period where you introduce, sell the benefits, handover, and then you move off after two years. Now, I'm not saying that's the, that's the most effective way, but that's a way to make things as sticky as possible because otherwise all you do is disturb the client to say, well, frankly, you're off. Why don't I just have a look at the marketplace and go and see if I like any other person now? Because I don't, I don't know. So that, that getting things ready, communication piece, and then handover, I think is really, really key. Hannah, what I see a lot in there is, um, you know, people looking at the legacy in terms of that transfer of the same kind of culture. And obviously Paul touched on it there. And I get involved a lot in terms of finding those successors. And for many businesses, their successor is already in their business, you know, to then take over. And therefore, I've injected my own culture into that individual. And therefore, it's seen as a seamless transition. And what I see some of that common mistakes in there, Hannah, is that, you know, they'll say, well, actually, I've got Johnny, he's age 23, he's just become an advisor, and he's going to be my successor. Or when do you want to retire? Or, you know, step down a little bit. Oh, just in three, three, four years time. Well, I'm not sure at age 27, that individual's either got the capacity to do that, the personality to do that with all the softer skill sets, nor the financial backing to do that. And whilst obviously as a business, we loan money as part of our practice buyout, and we do that for, for management buyouts as well. 
the reality is is that you're much better off going and picking somebody who's, who's a lot older but not so old that they're retiring with you it's really finding you know somebody 10 15 years their junior who they've naturally then been grooming to then take over the reins um, other than that obviously you're out in the wider marketplace trying to find businesses with a similar culture and that's a lot of what, what Nick does isn't it yeah, I, I, you know, following on from that, Scott, I think that's really important. So for, for, for business proprietors, often they have a successor in mind. Um, the, the, you know, the challenge that, that, that we um, pose to them is to be open-minded because often the anticipated successor may, you know, may, may be a similar kind of business, similar kind of structure, but actually being open-minded and looking at the different options and choices available um, broaden the horizons and give you different choices. So, you know, the succession planning and the continuity and, and, and the legacy planning is all linked to just taking your time with this, um, going through a selection process and, and, and being open-minded. And, and actually what we see, and for the right reasons, is often a succession plan will, will, be, it will morph, it will tweak. Um, and ultimately, where that happens, that's really positive because once it's cemented, it leads to a really, really successful outcome, most importantly for the clients. And if the clients don't feel the transition, it's, it's Paul's point. From a client's point of view, they don't really know when the business is actually um, sold. It just feels like a seamless continuity. And then where that happens from a client point of view, it means both the, 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 the retiring business proprietor and the successor achieve both their objectives as well. The devil's, devil's really in the detail of looking at some of these deals and you know, doing it for the right reasons. Yes, you want to achieve a fair, fair price, but that transition is all important. Coming back to your question around legacy, is I want those clients who are often my friends to say, actually, that was a really great thing, a seamless transition. And it's all about picking the right individual at, at a fair price. The fair price thing is really interesting because it's about what you walk away net as well. So there's a couple of things, you know, there is no ideal deal. We've got to be fair about that. It's the basic of human behavior. I value what I've got more than you will value it when you're trying to buy it off me. All right. Because I can't look at a house, look at a car, look at anything else. So I'll always put a higher value on something I already own. It's the endowment effect. We can't help it. It's a behavioral bias. Okay, so, so we're always up against that and we get attracted to bigger numbers. If there's pressure to, tran to transition, that just doesn't feel, you know, that may be right for some people, it may not be right for others. The next thing is net what you take home from tax. So you might have a higher payment figure, but actually that's pretty much because of the way the business is operated, it's, it's paid as income tax. And the last thing is this timing thing. People just don't get this whole, and when do I get the money? We've watched too many Hollywood movies where they sell their business on the Thursday and they're often on the beach on Friday. It doesn't work that way. You know, <laughs> I have people say, I need to go in five years time, a bit like Scott. I say, okay, so that means you're out in three. They go, what? Well, because your first payment will come in year three and then your yeah. final payment will come in year five. Oh gosh. So I need to actually work at getting the due diligence done in year two. Yeah. So you need to start now. Oh my God. So, you know, you need to think of not just the gross figure, it's the net figure after tax. When's the payment actually coming through? And then what are the terms around it? Because one other last piece on this is liability. Something yeah. like the market will say, I'll buy, I'll buy the asset, but the liability stays with you. So if you do decide to go onto that Hollywood sitting on a beach and relaxing, 
And that just be mindful of those big deals sometimes, the liability is just with you. So when you've got a waiter tapping on the shoulder, interrupting your next pina colada, and he says, oh, by the way, we've got a call through about a thing you thought you did fine seven years ago. Um, I think you better put your drink down, sir. You know, that's, that's the thing that you're, you're having to put aside some of that payment for is for future liability. And I hate to say it, I think there's anybody in the planet in the United Kingdom this year who hasn't seen stories of bad selling, misadvice and redress where actually a majority of those advisors thought they were doing the right thing to help the client at that time of need. So, you know, just, just be careful of, of, of under, understanding how much net do you walk away with and what have you got to do with it? Have you got to put some of it under a mattress for 15 years or can you spend it today? Yeah, I think it's important, like, like you said, to focus on what some of the risks are. Um, I mean, some people listening to this will be perhaps considering a, a management buyout or a partial sale or something similar. And um, Nick, I know you sort of specialise in ensuring that firms get a fair, a fair price on this sort of thing. I mean, yeah. when you're considering those key risks and whether you are just planning on hopping off to get your pina colada on the beach, <laughs> or not, what, what would be your main yeah. advice then to 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 people listening so when we're engaging with business proprietors either looking to buy or, or, or sell a business often the focus from from an assessment and a due diligence point of view and a risk point of view is coming through the lens of the buyer so from my point of view i really try and engage actually with the seller paul and, and, and scott touched on it the devil is in the detail so, you know, the key risks from a seller's perspective is somewhere where I really probe and, and, and engage with them. The seller needs to really understand, you know, the, the similarities in, in, in terms of client proposition, the culture of the business. Um, importantly, in the mechanics of the deal, really, Hannah, um, these big numbers are very seductive when you receive an offer in principle. But the really, really important thing is to understand how that proposal is structured and actually as the seller of the business what your obligations what your commitments are to the successor to actually achieve that maximum outcome and the outcome is often determined um, and payable over a reasonable period of time so understanding what your commitments are and what's expected of you for years two and three is really quite important um, because inevitably, the you know the number that you receive as an indicative offer um, may not be what you achieve. So whether or not you're looking at a partial sale, which is really you know a really good option if you're a big business and you're looking to slow down or, or, or specialize, management buyout. Scott Scott touched on this. You know for for some of our larger businesses, we see this in the market. Um, there may be some very capable young entrepreneurial successes already in the business. That's really good. Um, but making sure the retiree is actually really, really clear on the parameters of their involvement in the business going forward is really important. We did some research and some stats on the stuff that Nick was talking about, the, the, the things that can alter it. And so basically, it's a sporting allergy. If you're in football or rugby or tennis, it doesn't matter. But how you receive a ball, obviously, is, is, is really important. So getting it ready to pass it on really well. So some of the key things, if your recurring income is more, is more consistent, and I don't mean that, you know, everybody's paying exactly the same fee, but certain segments are paying the right fee consistently, that can enhance the value by an extra 30%. In the same way, if we know initial fees are applied consistently, that enhances it by 30% because it removes a huge load of ag for the person who's buying it, of going back and sort of almost apologizing for the way that thing was done in the past. The quality of management information, that can add an extra 15% to the value of a deal because it's just an ease of transaction. The compliance history clearly can either mean no deal happening 
or uh, it doesn't seem to enhance it, funny enough, but it can actually devalue it. It's always funny, that one, isn't it? Um, but we're finding two, two extra things coming into valuation enhances with this, Hannah, and it's only happened in the last sort of two to three years. Number one is the profitability piece that Scott and, and Nick massively touched on. Um, so it's not all about you know, funds under management and how much recurring income. It's, it's how profitable are you? And in some of those cases, especially for the larger firms, that can have a 300% increase in the value of the sale. That's a lot of money. But this, the last thing is, funnily enough, the, 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 the employment status of advisors. Now, this is a bit of a red herring, but what we're finding is it's about the strength of contract. It doesn't matter if they're employed or self-employed. It's about strength of contract, emotional ownership, financial ownership, and liability ownership. Is that crystal clear? And if it's not, you can sometimes take 50% off that deal, or if it is, you can add at least another 30 to 50% on top. We've certainly been hearing throughout the podcast that the importance of looking after your clients. From your perspective, how important is it to look after your client base, even when you're looking to sell? It's the most important thing, Hannah, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, the, 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 let's be frank, you know, the, the income um, is generated by the, the investments that, that, that the client is making through, through, through the financial advice they're receiving. So um, the client is crucial. The relationship with the client is crucial. And also from a seller's point of view, documentation of that relationship is key as well. So having clear articulation as to the services that you are providing to a client for the income that you receive is the most important part from a proposition point of view, in, in my opinion. And actually getting back to Paul's point around these huge valuations that, that, that get circulated in the market, ultimately the valuation that you achieve is only going to be based on the adoption and the maintenance of your client under the successor's proposition. So um, the client is crucial to it. If you don't take your client on the journey, the high level indicative valuation that, that you may be presented with just will not materialize. So client is key, yeah. central to everything. Just following on from that, of course, that client contract kind of relationship is built by your own members of staff. So when I speak to some of those firm principals, they're talking about, well, what's gonna to happen to kind of Mary and, and Elizabeth in my admin area? And, and Tom, who's just joined us, and they've obviously been building up these businesses with huge emotional ties to their own members of staff. And obviously, there's also that, are they self-employed or employed as advisor? Am I going to be able to look after them? And so I do see that as a big consideration for folks as well. It's not just this price. They're wrestling with, is this the right thing to do by my clients, something I've been doing for the last 32 years, along with my relationships with my staff. And you know, in many instances, these aren't huge firms. So as you know, when you're working in a small business, you're working so closely together, it feels like a family. And therefore, they're really, it's really kind of important to them. They feel that family is going to be taken care of. That's undoubtedly, as you said, very important for the client as well, to know that the, that the people within the firm are being looked after as well, however it moves, however it changes hands, perhaps. Paul, over to you. You know, it, it, I, I was because of behavioural science, okay, it's, to me, it always comes down to value. Do I feel valued? And uh, the, the, the stickiness of a client or how well they'll stick with you is whether they still feel that you value them and they value your services. And the value is a really interesting thing. So I, I, I question, especially in the handovers, my challenge to us as a sector is that when, we, when we, we woo a client initially to get them on board, we're very good at explaining or better at explaining the value we give to them. But over time, familiarity breeds contempt. So often advisors forget to remind clients of the value of an ongoing advice service. 
And unfortunately, that's their biggest undoing because that makes it more uh, weak as an ongoing proposition. So what we try to do is in that run up to handover is work with firms to say, here are some ways you can remind people of the value, not what you do, because that's different the value of what you give to them. And often that can be making sure you reassure them that everything they've got is in the right name, ownership and tax shelter. Make sure they're not taking too much unnecessary risk, not missing out on a better return they deserve. Being their center of, of, uh, of trust, trusted source of information when Mr. Sunak's announcing some new government tax changes. Finally, gentlemen, if I could ask all of you, um, quite briefly, please, if you, could, if, if you could give one piece of advice to someone listening who's looking to sell, what would that golden nugget of advice be if i was going to be buying a business i'd be really interested in is what's the relationship they have with the next generation so it's not an immediate thought that people might think about but it's really around do you know their children because that's where the wealth's going to go and of course if you can have that demonstrated in your customer relationship management system and it's written down actually you know for me i'd be able to talk far with far more gravitas to a potential buyer that says, actually, I've not just got this cohort of clients with me today, but actually when I look at the wealth they've got, it's going to transfer to that next generation. And I also have relationships with their children. Nick, your golden nugget of advice. So my, mine would be proposition and the being really clear with your clients um, around the charges and the service that you provide to your clients. So um, Businesses are built over a period of time. Inevitably, um, different types of proposition and service are offered. So ensuring some consistency um, will aid to profitability as well. So consistency of service and proposition are key for me. Paul, final word goes to you then. Your, your bit of advice for anyone listening, looking to sell. Uh, my, my words would be purpose. Become your own financial planner and test your purpose. What is the purpose of you doing this? How will you fill your time if you retire completely, partially? How, what, what is the point of this? What are you trying to do by, by achieving this? And have a really good you know, look at yourself, test yourself and say, right, I've, I've actually sold this. What am I going to do to fill my time? And then see how comfortable you are with it. And then that'll really help you drive to say, what type of sale am I looking for? Excellent advice and plenty of food for thought there. Gentlemen, thank you very, very much indeed to Nick Bray, to Scott Stevens, and to Paul Young. That is all we have time for, but we appreciate the, the fascinating uh, chat. Thank you also to everyone listening to today's episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet, brought to you by Quilter Financial Planning. You can find us at www.quilterfinancialplanning.co.uk or our advisor school is at www.quilterfaschool.co.uk. Subscribe to the podcast through your preferred platform. I'm Hannah Vaughan-Jones, and thank you so much for joining our conversation today. <laughs>